0: Welcome to the Cup and Saucy Book Club. I'm Jen. And I'm Zanna. What's in your cup today, Zanna? You know, today I'm just having water. I love my tea, but I'm just feeling a little dehydrated. I'm just trying to keep my vocal cords lubricated. How about you? Well, it's important to stay hydrated, Zanna. (laughs) Lube is important. Wait, no. (laughs) (laughs) Today I've got a um, Yorkshire a uh, red label tea um this is kind of my go to tea if i don't have if i'm not awake enough to wear uh, to make coffee and and i just need to put something in that's going to have a heavy amount of caffeine which i need today so <laughs> it is early it you. is early today we are joined by chloe whitehorn chloe is a playwright writer actor and underwater photographer She's a graduate of the theater program at Queen's University in Canada. Chloe's work examines taboo moralities, tragic love, and the licentious desires and imaginative reasoning of human beings. Her plays have been performed in theaters across North America and the United Kingdom and published in various collections, including Divine Wrecks and Other Morally Questionable Tragedies. Chloe, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Your plays are all about love which we talk about a lot on this podcast but they're specifically about tragic love. So what draws you to these types of tales?
1: I think early on I was really interested in Romeo and Juliet for some reason. It's mm-hmm. the it's the love story that we all read in like grade 9. If they just had a little bit more time, it probably wouldn't have been a problem if they just communicated everything would have worked out just fine.
0: (laughs) You know, there was a bit of an age gap and they were very young.
1: Oh, it's, it's a terrible love story for sure. Um, Which if, if given more time and not the pressure of we need to do this now, it would have worked. It it would have been a disaster and they would have gotten over it. But it's, it's that two people who really want to be together that can't for some reason, that ups the ante of everything and gives you those visceral feels in your Mm -hmm. gut. I've always really liked the feeling that you get with something. I've never really remembered the happy moments. I love being happy. I love laughing. I love comedy. But if you ask me what made you laugh specifically, I won't remember. But if you ask me what made me cry, I remember those stories, those those visceral feelings that come with tragic love. Mm. So that's sort of what I've been drawn to. And I started out as an actor Mm -hmm. and those moments on stage where you, the, the sadness, the grief, those are really comfortable to be in, in a discomforting sort of way They make people uncomfortable, the audience maybe even, but we've all experienced them.
0: And so it sort of familiar. creates a point of connection between yes, the actor exactly. and the audience of this is something that I'm feeling and and you probably have felt
1: it too. And coming from right, uh, coming to writing from an acting perspective, those are the moments that I really enjoyed to play. So that's what would come to me first, and that's what I would write about. And start so with Your those. plays are
0: love letters to actors. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretty much I have had actors very very happy with the script. They say they're they're uh-huh. fun to play.
0: Your work is also a lot of dark satire. It's been described as Dorothy Parker meets Neil LaBute. Is that an intentional choice on your part to sort of weave that dark humor into it?
1: That might be part of just who I am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it comes Uh, naturally. It
1: comes naturally to me. Yeah. There's another way to be. (laughs) (laughs) I did writing courses in university, but I always expected to be an actor. And I started writing seriously when I wrote myself a one woman show. I got a spot in a local theater company's one act play festival. And I realized if I don't have something in two months, I'm going to be on stage with nothing to say. So I wrote <laughs> a play. And then shortly after that, my mom died. And mm-hmm. everything I've written since then, I'm sure has been somehow influenced by that. And so there has been a lot of death in, <laughs> in everything I've written, partially as a way of dealing with it, I'm sure. But also just because it is, again, one of those things that everybody experiences somehow at some point, mm-hmm. and we're all still trying to process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The universal inevitability of it. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned a couple of times that you started as an actress and you are getting back into acting after a long hiatus. What made you decide to go back to acting at this time?
1: I missed it. I I really love the theater. Being a playwright, you're still involved in the productions when they happen, but a little bit on the outside. And I miss the family that gets created with a cast when you're working long hours on something and putting yourself on stage in front of people and bonding that way. And I always felt a little bit on the outside just being the playwright, so I missed it. I wanted to come back to it. And now I'm not pursuing it as a career anymore. It's more just for for fun, to make me a human. Again, make sure I'm a full human being. My children are finally off at school <laughs> after a a long time at home especially with the pandemic right and uh, yes. and so I have a little bit of a life again and it, it's another creative outlet and gets the drama out on stage instead of in my life
0: it's also a form of therapy in that way too I guess. very much so you know I find a lot of actors will say that to be able to express their own emotions through someone else is extremely helpful to looking at it more objectively than they would, than if they were just expressing it to their loved ones, at their loved ones, that sort of thing. You got into playwriting when you were still in theater school. Now you said you had written a one woman show for yourself and that's really how you got started. In the process of doing that one woman show, did you look at it and say, you know, this is actually something more that I want to pursue, or were you just doing the one-woman shows so that you would have something to say on stage?
1: (laughs) No, there are a number of aspects of it. When you perform as an actor in theater, as soon as the play is over, your art is done. It doesn't live on. If somebody didn't see it in the theater, they missed it. They don't get to experience it. So you might have newspaper clippings or the memories of it, but the art is finite, I guess, mm-hmm. whereas writing, it existed after the fact. So it was it's a creative outlet that goes on, that other people can share, that can be picked up by another theater and played, or you see how other people contribute to it. I have a painting on my wall that I made that is a big blank white canvas that says create in it. And I've had a lot of people, I tried to do it with everybody, but all the theatre artists who have worked on any of my plays sign it because it's it's a reminder that theatre is a collaborative effort. And mm-hmm. me sitting here at my computer writing a play by myself, that is in itself not the art. That is just the starting point for theatre, where then the directors and the actors and the lighting designers, everybody else puts their art into it and becomes this magical experience in a theater that an audience gets to share. But after the fact, there's still, my script can continue on and be a part of somebody else's art as well, somewhere else. So I I like that. Also, I I liked that I could send my scripts out from the comfort of my home and be rejected via email <laughs> instead of going <laughs> to auditions and yeah. seeing the looks in- on people's faces. Oh, you're not right for this role, <laughs> Which is and I can age beyond very... 26, which as an actor, yeah. I was not really allowed to. So
0: <laughs> your possibilities have opened up and yes. the opportunities, and only in part because you're the one who's creating them.
1: Yeah. I also liked as a playwright, I can write things for actors that are roles that I could never play, that mm-hmm. because of the limitations of who yes. I am physically, I would never be playing that role on stage, but I can help create that character for someone else.
0: That definitely speaks to the collaboration aspect very deeply. And also how giving the art of playwriting. The first time I ever saw a, like a zoom play during the pandemic was your play Dressing Amelia. Fabulous play that it was a really kind of an interesting experience to, you know, being able to watch a play, not being on stage, but watch a play sort of unfolding in front of my eyes, but while I was in the comfort of my own home. and In your pajamas, probably. In my pajamas, yeah. <laughs> it was different. It was
1: nice to be able to continue to create theater, and I sort of put that word in quotations um, mm-hmm. during the pandemic, but a big part of theater is is the audience, is the live aspect of it, right. and uh, the feedback that the audience gives the performers on stage feeds into the the whole show yeah, and that yeah. that is lacking obviously in a mm-hmm. in a zoom thing i've seen zoom plays done really well where they were intended for the computer screen basically with characters on computers so mm-hmm. that it was uh it was like a zoom call there was there was one in scotland that jack loden fabulous actor uh, I saw during the pandemic him do a Zoom call to his mother, and have some reveal of information happen mm-hmm. that it and it was so natural it looked like we were watching an actual call between a son and right. a mother, but it wasn't right. play. So things written specifically for that format really work that way. I think traditional plays written where the actors are meant to be in the same room with the audience. It's something to explore for sure, but I right. think we are all very, very happy to be back in theater. In the theater. Yeah.
0: I think in a way it, it kind of makes you more creative because you are limited by the constraints of, you know, the technology, the, that. It, it's the same sort of thing of being on, in a play where the set never changes or you're in a, you know, situation where you only have two actors doing everything. You have to play within that limitation that you set up for yourself. And in this case, though, the, the limitation was set up by the world. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that, that you were working within that framework and still creating stories. A lot of what we do on this podcast is talk about books and industries related to books. Overall, what we're talking about is storytelling. Whether Mm -hmm. that story is true or not true, whatever format that takes, including on the stage. What is it that you read that inspires you?
1: Oh, everything. (laughs) (laughs) In junior high, when they start asking you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I started responding, a poet just because I didn't I didn't want the follow-up questions. And there were never any follow-up questions. Nobody happened. wants
0: to know anything no. more. Yeah, about being a poet. <laughs> They're like, oh, what, you what are you going to do with that? The no. line, oh. the,
1: the poet, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, and I loved writing, but I also had an issue with plot, I think. So I, I could do the descriptive stuff very, very well. Uh, the follow-through on plot. Hopefully I've figured that out by now. <laughs> But uh, then I I couldn't so I read I read a lot of poetry. Now I read I read a lot of YA. there's it's it's that magical coming of age discovering who you are part it's like new love does give you all the tingles. It's the the happily ever after of uh, romance novels that we stop when they finally get together because then you, know, <laughs> you just take them down, a little
0: bit farther when you do a play <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I think happily ever after and tragic romance are really two two stopping points in the same story. (laughs) Oh yeah, if you just continue, they can be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: And I love mysteries. Yeah, I like figuring things out, trying to solve something. I I do not enjoy things that uh, underestimate their audiences. If something is spoon fed to me. I will most likely stop reading it or watching it. I like to be able to just figure it out just before it's revealed, but not figure it out at the beginning. I've I've sat through movies or plays even where in the first five minutes, I'm like, oh, this is this is what's going to happen. And then you have to wait for it. And there's some joy in seeing how it unfolds and watching the process of how it unfolds. But if the rest of the audience, when the big reveal happens, goes, <sighs> I have this, like, really, <laughs> really. We didn't all know that. Did already? you, did you oh, not
0: see that coming? Right? How did you not did see that? They showed coming? you the gun. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it sounds like me. You are a fan of the twist. So I love you the twist. You, if you think oh, you have man. it figured out, and then suddenly, oh, oh, that's I did not expect that. And yeah, some of the twists in your plays really have just sucker punched me. I'm thinking about. I think it was the first one, maybe in Divine Rex, the, the uh, high school, the teacher and the student. Yes, yes,
1: that sucker punched so. me. <laughs> that is what I like because I really enjoy the twist yeah. and the reveal, uh, which makes it hard for me to talk about my work because mm-hmm. it, I don't want to tell you
0: what. Right, I'm you don't want to. It's like it's like every conversation about your work is. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. spoiler alert. Which is, so, which is, I'm sure everybody will have noticed by now that we're not actually, you know, we're not actually talking about them because of that, that <laughs> element. I was just thinking, if we were going to spoil something, what is your favorite twist that you have written? Oh,
1: we can do two. We can talk about Divine Rex if you want. Yeah. Which, um, because it's an adaptation of a classic. Uh, uh-huh. I took oedipus the king yep and turned it into a modern day play where it's a high school student and their teacher that have a relationship
0: but it is
1: actually this yeah the the story where she ends up the twist the twist
0: is is that he was adopted and this woman who's his teacher is actually his mother yeah so there's the gets into the very taboo
1: doubly uh, taboo
0: Heavily taboo, taboo. but yeah, I I think that I have noticed with your work, you do hearken back to a lot of Greek tragedies and and Greek mythology stories. And we've talked about this before, but what is the impetus for going Greek, I guess?
1: (laughs) (laughs) The basis of most stories come from the same place. Mm -hmm. and. They were written a long, long time ago. And the same things interest us. The issues might have changed, but the same base feelings and not necessarily situation. Yes. The way human beings operate and think and love, that Mm -hmm. hasn't changed, I don't think. If you can pull something from the past and make it more relevant for today's audiences, then...
0: And it can still be shocking. And it can still still be be shocking. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that, that is that, that is one of my The favorite thing I, is something that really like I said sucker punched me because I wasn't expecting an Oedipus story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I even tried to use a, a Greek chorus in
1: that one where I have the high school uh-huh. students and their little cliques. Yes. Um gossiping yes. the way Greek choruses from ancient theater used to right. reveal yeah. parts of the plot. So Yeah, that, I, was, that was that was a little more straightforward. <laughs> But because it needed a little on the nose, but still great. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it really is about the twists and the reveals for me. And and when that happens, I do like to be able to give you everything as an audience up front so that it's there but it's not where your mind goes. You don't automatically right. go, oh, well, she said she had a child when she was in high school and this guy's in high school. And hmm, yep. maybe, you know, you don't you don't follow through with that because that's not where we want things. To because exist. it's
0: so taboo. It doesn't really register as, as, right. as the right not, answer. And it's not and, deliberate misdirection. It's more of a here's here are all the things to focus on. But, you know, we're going to look at this
1: yeah uh, but, and then
0: you, and this piece is it another, together, yeah, this is another thing that we've talked about before is sort of this you're 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 holding on to your assumptions like a blanket. It's so uncomfortable to think about you know, the alternative that you don't go there, and so it makes the twist that much deeper, <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. for for me, that was the case. It's like I'm making the assumption that this that we're not going there and then suddenly we're going there. And it makes it a little bit of a, of a shock to the system. Right. Beautifully done. So. Thank
1: you. My more recent play that, that happened just before the pandemic is morning after the night before. It's morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Mm. And uh, I have the first scene, a character is drowning. And they say, I'm, I'm drowning. And not metaphorically, mm-hmm. like actually but then the play continues with this character on stage. Right. So, your inclination as an audience member is to go, Oh, well, that must be in the future. It's a metaphorical yeah. drowning. In- exactly. Hey, but she told you I'm there, right at the beginning. I'm there too.
0: I'm also drowning. Yeah. We're drowning yeah. in life. We're drowning in our responsibilities. We're drowning well, in guilt, is- drowning in all these sorts of things. Oh. You were actually drowning. I'm yeah, sorry, yes yeah. that is is philosophizing while you were calling out for help. <laughs> it is it is a play where
1: everybody is drowning in some metaphorical way, except for that character who did, in fact, drown Literally at the drown. beginning. Literally uh, drown at the and beginning. And I've given you that information, but right. that's not what we're expecting. So mm-hmm. when it is revealed again later, there's this, oh, I like the twists and reveals.
0: I'm sensing a theme uh, with with your works, that it is not just looking at tragic love or doing it in a satirical way, but that you are forcing people to face their assumptions.
1: Or reassess their assumptions or reevaluate what they think of. Yeah. Why even just why is this not okay for these two people to be together why do we assume that and if you take that further why do we assume that about other relationships that mm-hmm. people and, have prejudices against
0: and why did we assume that the drowning of that character was metaphor why did we assume that the teacher and student were not related why did why did we make these assumptions and what does that say about us internally that we either go to that place or we don't. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of the the Mandela effect but where you what you think you are seeing is not actually what you're seeing, but your brain sort of fills in. So I always enjoy the stories that that make me think. And so thank you for being one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was I think that was what I was working up, up to say, <laughs> but thank you for being one of those. Have you already done your dream project or if you have a dream project in mind what does that look like you know what would you like that to to be even if that's not what comes true in reality
1: I feel like every project when you're working on it is the dream project to Mm. even just have it realized and bring everything that you've experienced up until that point into it. I know I can see the progression of my life experience in my plays. I don't think my work is mainstream. So to say, oh, my dream is to be like, I have a play on Broadway or something. I don't know. That's not your work. (laughs) No, (laughs) that is not my work. My work is like the little (laughs) intimate black box theater that, uh, that people walk out of going, wow that was really fucked up <laughs> but have you like <laughs> thinking about it afterwards and discussing it wait did you get that from it oh i got that from it i like okay so sitting... off off broadway
0: then <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah <laughs> i like sitting in the audience when i'm surrounded by people who don't know me and hearing uh-huh. the conversations that happen after a play because they don't know that the playwright is sitting near them yeah. and just the the different takes on it the different sides they take from one character's perspective to the other and it's it's a reflection of who they are and what life experience they're bringing to to the show and viewing it through their eyes but maybe being open to other perspectives and if if when they leave the theater they are possibly questioning something that they assumed or something in their life and rethinking how to see the world through somebody else's eyes. That is my dream.
0: What do you wish people would ask you about your acting, your playwriting, about your process that we haven't yet covered?
1: So every time I write, I start with a a blank screen and I write in the same computer file I do do some notes by handwritten uh, work when I'm specifically stuck I will write in a notebook but I generally add to the same file over and over again so I don't have different versions of my work so by the end I just have this finished play in a file and then when I go to start a new play I don't have a layout of how did I do this before <laughs> I- it's just done. It's magically done in one file. And uh, so every time I start, I'm I start differently. I sometimes start with an image mm-hmm. of a moment on stage and go from there and then puzzle piece it together. I wrote a play about online dating that I was I was commissioned to write a yeah. play on online dating. And I would meet with a producer in a coffee shop every couple of weeks to give them part of part of the play. And Cuts it was in this, Divine
0: Rex and other more like yeah it's uh it's as love as well, virtually. right yeah
1: yeah love comma yeah. virtually
0: <laughs> which I love that title by the way
1: thank you <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm giving her script bits and it's this love story between this barista and this singer uh who met in a coffee shop and the the tragedy that unfolds he he dies and uh, mm. uh so the relationship never gets taken to. The relationship never develops fully. So she keeps it in her mind as this like amazing relationship. This is, this is her soulmate. This is the best it could have been, but it never was. It's sort of a character says something about Schrodinger's cat. And that's the the metaphor for this relationship that because it didn't develop it, it can live as the it's both perfect
0: and imperfect at the
1: same time at the same time and so this this repeats the scene with them meeting repeats over and over and over again in the play with a little bit more developed uh it goes further and sometimes it's her imagination and sometimes it's the reality of it but I kept giving these script bits to the producer and she said okay but this is a play about it's about online dating where's the online dating I'm like, <laughs> saying oh it's coming it's coming I just there's this this love story at the core of it <laughs> and that and and the online dating bits did come and uh and they were they were fabulously
0: funny I I'm yeah, this yeah. is
1: my least tragic play, I think. Um, other than the, that, you
0: know, other than one of the characters in the love story dies, dies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, least and tragic. You know, he that, it's his, not tragic his at all. Best friend
1: who was also in love. With- <laughs> not nah, he dies. Uh, the, the character Noah. Noah dies. Right, um, but he has this conversation with his best friend, who. Was in love with this singer in high school, so it's like Uh a full circle thing. Uh And he says, uh, "Oh, you learned guitar for a girl." He says, "No, I learned guitar for that girl." So Uh it's uh, (laughs) specific to that girl. Anyway, the you um, got right to my you got right right to my
0: romantic heart with that line. Yep,
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's a good line, isn't it? It's a great Uh, line. Our for that that girl. That is one of those moments that came to me. So I was like, "I'm writing this," and and yes, the part you wanted from me is still coming in there with the virtual dating. Mm-hmm. I promise, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it she had to just hang in there with me for it to get there. So mm-hmm. so yeah, my my process is different every single time. Mm-hmm. I when, did uh... I did try to write uh, novels. In, and I'm still trying, I think. Uh, during the pandemic, when all the theaters closed, I thought, oh, maybe I should explore a, a different medium. And so I currently have three unfinished manuscripts that uh, that three different types of novels that I was trying to write. There's a romance, there's a, a YA fantasy, and uh, it's such a different medium. As a playwright, I write dialogue. That is what I do. Uh, right. It's all the words that are spoken on stage. I avoid the description as much as possible because that is not my job. There's a tree. There's a tree on set. That's the set designer's job to figure out what that tree looks like. Yeah. Um, the subtext I can I can give you, but that's the actor's job to mine it and figure it out. And the director's job to tell you, oh, that's where you're going to go. This is your you know, blocking for that. Um, whereas writing a novel... All the stuff that you're not supposed to put in a play is the stuff that you. Oh, there's a tree. What does the tree look like? What does the light filtering through the tree look like? What is the character sitting on the bench under the tree thinking about? What? How do they move their hands? And all this gets described. And please don't have how that many limbs do up. they have? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so this is this is fascinating to me because we um we have already interviewed uh, an adaptive screenwriter. Uh, she's you know taking a novel making it into a film and so she talked about the process of doing um, you know taking those things out that were internal you know dialogue how do you express the feelings through that and so you're doing the process in reverse which uh, which I think is the more challenging of the two if if i had to it's say very because, it's yeah, very, because, very slow because because you're having to you know with adapting a screenplay you are um you are cutting away at existing at stuff that already exists whereas you're you know so it's like cutting into marble well it's but, not just cutting away it's it's reimagining what's already yeah. there as a visual instead of as a um yeah whereas yeah. whereas for a playwright to write a novel now you have to flesh out things that you you know that the an audience seeing it would just assume you know they would see yeah. the tree there and they would and you know the the actor would they would see the expression on the actor's face and you know all of that so i i find that i find that fascinating i hadn't really thought of it before about how that would work in reverse for someone. <laughs> so. Figuring
1: out how to describe the expression on someone's face is so challenging. I am I am in awe of my my favorite writers, who who do it every day. <laughs> I don't well, know how. You
0: did, <laughs> as you said, you did start out in poetry because you wanted to be descriptive. So uh, that's the descriptive so, part coming back. Yeah, in. yeah. and and yeah. and so maybe that's going back to your roots a little bit. I think so. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I just like the way words work together and how putting different words together makes makes you see it completely differently or feel mm -hmm. it completely differently. Um, And that was the poetry part that I got into. But yes, let me now describe the light filtering through this tree.
0: (laughs) Well, let me channel James Lipton and inside the actor studio a little bit. But what is your favorite word?
1: I can't say fuck, right? That's not okay. Oh, no, <laughs> we're explicit.
0: <laughs> it's so good. It's it's so usable in so many situations. It can be a noun, a verb, a, you know, an adjective, an adverb. Yeah, it's a great word.
1: It's a fabulous word very useful it is an adult word as I tell my children not a bad word it's an adult word you just can't Thank use you. it until you're an adult. I
0: did this I did this too with my son I said that yeah. there were adult words and that there were kid words of course now he's 15 and he's close enough to an adult so he says them all the time says them all but- <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah there there are very few words that I think we would deem as bad in your regular vocabulary not what you know, word do you hate bland? bland yeah okay i often describe things as beige if they're just I see. across the board it's not just monochromatic but it's it's monotonous uh-huh. i don't like monotony i think I, I love drama so i will take the really very, very <laughs> low lows Sorry. if i can get the very very high highs right right but the monotony of life that's that just doesn't do it for me and i think that's what we love about reading books or seeing theater is the moments we're reading about or seeing those are never the monotony of life there's always something this is the the moment of something huge in these characters lives right yeah.
0: the monotony that. of the monotony of life does not move a story forward at all right. in no. fact it will kill it
1: that said waiting for godot very popular still
0: yeah and it- always surprises me (laughs) (laughs) i i have seen it i have seen it performed i performed scenes from it myself in in high school it it always surprises me that 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 still works and that it's been adapted successfully you know if you've ever seen the film waiting for guffman that is waiting for godot in community theater the set mm-hmm. in the world of community theater. And it's actually one of my favorite films. And the play kind of bores the life out of me. <laughs>
1: well, see, now that's somebody taking a play that maybe doesn't suit modern audiences and adapting it to be more relevant for us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But same story, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. What are you currently working on to surprise us next?
1: I am writing a play for a local theater company about the women's health crisis in the southern states. having lived in South Carolina over the last six years and now moved back to Canada, uh, I moved right uh, right after the Roe v Wade got overturned by the Supreme Court because living in the South was it was it was a very different experience from living up in Canada at the time. So all the things that were happening then in the South with uh, the trigger laws that were happening and, um, and people being able to report on their neighbors or friends having done something that might go against the morality code of one political party and being paid off to do that, it all struck me as... It's crazy. <laughs> it's, yes. it's, a huge thing for women. So I'm writing about the healthcare crisis because everything that they're, that is changing is changing everything for women, not just women who uh, need abortions or, um, or women who don't have means, um, but just the fact of men controlling what we can and cannot do with our bodies. Yeah.
0: And the ripples, uh, the ripple effects. Of... The ripple
1: effect. So I'm writing about that. And I have uh, a character helping women cross to a different state um, if they need health care that is not provided where they live on a boat. And the subtext of it all is about uh, Karan the ferryman, who, when you cross the wow. river sticks into Hades, how this is, it's all. The life and death and see, again, death, <laughs> but how close they are, how they overlap, how the the lines between them are murky and how one thing can lead to the other very easily. I'm it's, excited
0: for it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am too. It's funny going back to the adaptation thing. I
1: think that's because all the mediums are so different, uh, thinking about film and theater and books that when we adapt something to one of the other mediums if you've if you've read the book you feel like things missing because things are missing they had to take out the inner monologues Mm -hmm. and the um and the descriptions and it's all then the creative artists that have put together that film that you are getting their vision of it instead of what was in your head Mm -hmm. but i can also tell when a play has been adapted into a film uh there's usually a lot more talking a lot less action.
0: <laughs> it's a <Yes>.
1: talkie. <laughs> uh, you can see it. So to adapt something, you have to do it, do something different with it, I think. And the examples you were talking about, that when they've changed something in a huge way, that's when it works because it mm-hmm. opens up a, a different avenue for people to see it.
0: It's like um, looking at it through a different window.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a La to Rent. Yes. Yeah. Actually, that was
0: the one that jumped to my mind, uh, mm-hmm. interestingly enough.
1: Yeah, it, um, uh, it makes it more relevant, but also you've got a. a it's not just, oh, I'm going to take the same thing and put it in this different medium. It's, it's altered to fit that medium more. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because the characters are the characters for that particular example are developed so differently, you know, that, um, you can see the elements of the original, of the original media, you know, you can see the, the elements of, of the opera and, you know, who, who Mimi is, who Rodolfo is, you know, all of that. But then there's also these other characters that are given life and three-dimensional, fully fleshed out things that tell the story in a new way where can we find you when you're when you're not on stage yourself or your words being said on the stage
1: (laughs) i'm on instagram and facebook uh but instagram is is my preferred social media i like the visual element of it Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't i don't usually do a lot of writing of the words below it it's usually just the the picture, which is a different, different avenue for me, but I'm on Instagram at, at Chloe Whitehorn.
0: And we will make sure to have all of this information about Chloe's titles. So you can find these plays yourself and maybe even perform them. That would be really nice. Or produce them. <laughs> <laughs> or produce them. Uh, and <laughs> thank you so much, Chloe, for being on the program today. Uh, thank you for is, having me. It was, it was a lot, lot of fun. it has been a really enjoyable yeah. conversation. Yeah, definitely. And all of the information about today's guest will be on the show notes page on our website, which is cupandsaucybooks.com. And you can listen to us there or wherever you get your podcasts. And please subscribe and review. You can also follow us on social media at Cup and Saucy Books. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And we are also on Twitter as Cup N, the letter N, Saucy Books. Let us know if you have a book you would like us to review on the show. Thank you for joining us for the Cup and Saucy Book Club. Join us next time for Xana's review of whatever it is I made her read. Probably a few tangents. Happy reading. Cheers.